Welcome to Franklin Covey's weekly On Leadership series. I'm Scott Miller, and I'm joined today by the renowned author and global trust expert, Stephen M. R. Covey. Welcome, Stephen. Hey, great, Scott. Great to be with you. So delighted to have you as our first guest in our new studio. I love it. I love it, too. Our production team gave me the license to pick the most influential books that I've read in my 30, almost a year career here. And I'm delighted to announce and remind you behind you is your book at a place of honor as well, too. It should be over here to inspire you, but it's there to inspire me. So, Good placement. I, I love agree. it right I, there I behind agree. me. It will be my support as we That's go right. through today. You're Jiminy Cricket, right, so I to speak. It. So, Stephen, this On Leadership series is now pushed <clears throat> to over 2 million people growing wow. every day, large audience. I want to set some context kind of for what your journey has been because I've known you in the firm yeah. for almost 22 years, but now you've had this global impact with your new book. Take us a minute or two and tell us kind of where you started and how you ended up where you are now. Yeah, sure. Well, I came out of business school, joined what was the Covey Leadership Center with my father, Stephen R. Covey, right. and that was right when The Seven Habits was coming out. Which was about? 1989. Yeah, yeah. The year it came out was the year I joined. I joined about six months before. And, and uh, once that book came out, it kind of changed everything because yeah. it, it put us on the map yeah. and people began to read it, became aware of it, became aware of my dad. We began to really do work with leaders and teams and organizations, not only in the U.S., but also all around the world. And it kind of changed everything. You started in what role in the firm? Well, I started as a client developer. You were. Doing yeah. work yeah. with clients. And bottom of the to ladder. Huh? Sell the bottom, yeah. right at the bottom. And, and uh, tried to learn the business uh-huh. and, and uh, work with clients. And, and then I over time became a client manager and then a team leader and then I led the other teams and then I led the whole client services group and then over time I became our, our president and our CEO. That's right. And, and uh, we built a great organization, great brand. We then merged with Franklin Quest to form Franklin Covey. Right. And that's our organization today and you know, that's operating in over 150 countries yeah. around the world and, and uh, I led in, you know, the team coming together as we right. merged right. and then and ran, ran the training and education division mm-hmm. uh, for quite a while. So I my, my started on the business side, right. building the business, growing the business, expanding it. And then uh, about uh, 12, about, actually about 15 years ago, I kind of had a, a shift mm-hmm. in my thinking mm-hmm. where having done the business side, I then felt compelled to write and to speak mm-hmm. and to do some some of the things that my father was doing. And I hadn't done it prior because I I didn't have anything to say. But then I found Hmm. something that I wanted to talk about, and that was trust. And so I I really focused an intense period on working on the book, writing the book, The Speed of Trust, and uh, published this in 2006. And and with this, we um, then built all kinds of ways to access it and to make this uh, 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 usable for leaders, for teams, for organizations to build high trust cultures, high trust relationships, and and uh, and that's what I kind of do today. Is I really focus on writing and teaching, speaking, consulting, helping leaders, teams, and organizations increase trust to achieve their objectives. It must have weighed on you as you made the decision to transition out of an operational executive role right. into a writing role to say, "Gosh, how do I follow?" or not follow my father's footsteps. I mean, your father has written the Seven Habits book amongst dozens of others that are, you know, the most influential books in history in terms of interpersonal relationships. The Seven Habits is the iconic book of our, of our time. What was that like struggling with carving your own path? Yeah. Candidly, it was difficult. Yeah. I mean, it's hard to have the name Stephen Covey and to follow the, the man who wrote The Seven <laughs> Habits, right. and to say, I'm gonna write a book too. But with more hair. <laughs> a little bit more hair. And, and you know, I'm gonna write a book too. And, and I, I really did 
struggle with this at first, thinking, you know, what am I going to say? No matter what I say, it's going to be just a poor man's version of it. Hmm. But I came to the conclusion, first of all, that I had something to say. And secondly, that I was just going to be myself and try to follow in the tradition, the legacy of my father, but do it my way. I yeah. wasn't going to try to be yeah, him. Yeah, what you've done. And, and, uh, and I felt like what I brought to it maybe distinctly was a practitioner's perspective. Hmm. Having spent those 15 years on the business side, mm -hmm. building a business, growing a business, and, and running it, it gave me a perspective that was very distinct and unique for a soft topic like trust to say, this is not soft, this is hard-edged. I know as a practitioner, as a doer of this, and, and, I, and I looked at the stuff on trust out there and it was either too simplistic hmm. or too academic. And I felt like, you know, trust is practical, it's tangible, it's actionable. And there's a business case for trust. It's economic and it's learnable. It's a learnable skill. And most of the stuff didn't treat it that way. And I felt like there was a real need to have a contribution around how trust is a learnable skill for any leader, any team, any organization. And so I, I felt like I found my voice that gave me the courage to kind of take on the demons of following in my father's mm -hmm. footsteps and doing something similar to what he had done with mm -hmm. writing and teaching. And, uh, and I kind of took the leap and exercised the courage and the, and the faith and the strength and uh, wrote Speed of Trust and, and uh, have been really honored and excited by the good things that have happened. Well, not just good, but great. I mean, your book has sold just shy of two million copies worldwide. I mean, that in the business book realm is at the very top of the top. Why do you think the book has been so resonant to so many cultures and companies and countries around the world. I mean, two million copies for people who know, that is the creme de la creme of impact in business books. Yeah. Scott, I think it's because it is so relevant in our world today. It's so timely and so topical. I mean, just yeah. look at the headlines. Even like this week. Even this right, week. More than last month or last year. Look at the headlines yeah. where we're seeing abuses of trust, violation of trust, privacy issues, all kinds of trust issues at every level in society, in institutions, in organizations, in leaders. So this is on everyone's minds and, and uh, we're operating increasingly in a low trust world. And more than ever before in a low trust world, we need leaders and organizations that know how to operate with high trust in a world of declining trust. Hmm. And, to, and to understand why that matters why it's a huge advantage for any leader in any organization to operate with high trust in a low trust world. But more importantly, Scott, it's really understanding how to move the needle, how to get good at this, how to, how to create trust in a world of declining trust, and how to do that as a leader, how to do it as a, as a team, as an organization, and really how to build a high trust culture. And, and, and so it's just so Sometimes against the relevant. odds, right? Sometimes against the gravitational pull the Absolutely. opposite way. Many times you're swimming upstream. Right. Right. And you're going into, you know, you might be in a low trust industry and here you are trying to be the high trust player in a low trust industry. Or even as a leader, you might be in a company that's maybe not known for trust and yet you're going to build a high trust team, high trust culture and a personal high trust reputation. Mm -hmm. And, and uh, so you are often swimming upstream. Certainly are in our society today, but this is what we need. We, ne we need models because models can become mentors. And we need to show that there are leaders and organizations that are doing it the right way. They're operating with high trust and they're getting results and their ability to get results the next time has just gone up. Because we have plenty of examples the other direction. We need to show that, yeah, there's a crisis of trust, but in the midst of the crisis of trust, there's a simultaneous 
renaissance of trust. Yeah. It's a paradox, right. but that's what we're all about. That's what the, the Speed of Trust practice at Franklin Covey is all about, is helping leaders and organizations build high trust teams and cultures. Mm -hmm. So we'll get to the content of the book. Yeah. First, I want to talk about kind of what you're working on, because it was not easy to get you here today. You weren't resistant, but your schedule mm -hmm. has, you know, kind of exploded. I mean, tell me the last two weeks of what's been going on with you, or three weeks. Where, where have you been and how do you spend your time? Yeah, well, I, I tend to spend my time speaking at conferences mm -hmm. um, or, you know, keynote speaking and the like, or also doing client work, you know, speaking with, uh, consulting with, uh, training with executive teams, uh, senior leadership teams, or, or helping, or, or really sometimes entire organizations kind of rolling out this speed of trust mm -hmm. concepts. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, so the last couple of weeks, maybe a good illustration of it. So I was in- I kind of uh, chased you around the world <laughs> via text and phone. <laughs> yeah, I was in Baltimore yeah. at the uh, Ethics and Compliance Initiative Conference, and then in New York City with a charitable trust, uh -huh. building a high trust culture, and then uh, to San Francisco, and then to Tel Aviv, Israel, and then back to San Francisco with, you know, with a pharmaceutical company with the leadership team there, and then to Austin, Texas with a technology company, and then off to uh, Newcastle, England, Goodness. With, a, you know, with a water services company, and then to Akron, Ohio with, at an education conference with superintendents and principals. You know, so just kind of a whirlwind of, yeah, of, uh, exciting. of industries and leaders and, and locations around the world, but you're ab absolutely right, it's exciting. And, and it's really an indication of the renaissance of trust in the midst of the crisis of trust. That's mm -hmm. the paradox, mm -hmm. is that there's, there's leaders and organizations that are saying there's a better way to operate in a low trust world. And that's to start with trust and to create trust intentionally. And that's really my mission is to help leaders build it intentionally, on purpose. So Stephen, the, the premise of your book, amongst many premises, is that uh, you espouse that trust is not just a nice, soft social virtue. It is, by matter of fact, a hard financial measure. Correct. And in the book, you identify very specifically, I'd argue perhaps some of the best value of the book are these very specific, tangible 13 behaviors of a high trust leader. You talk about what the behavior is, the opposite, and perhaps profoundly what the counterfeit is. Mm -hmm. When someone attends the two-day trust work session, which I've attended, they get this deck of cards. Can we take a yeah. couple of minutes and just talk about how these cards work in the work session and what some of the you know, these 13 behaviors are? And maybe you, as you're talking through them, talk about in terms of a leader, a team leader, division leader, uh, leader of an organization, or perhaps leader in a family or at a community or church, which ones of these have the most impact, most upside and most downside when not practiced? Yeah, yeah. Great question. And, and um, the point of the cards are that these are tools. They're just practical, tangible, yeah. you know, yeah. accessible tools that you, people can use to actually move the needle on trust for them as a leader or, or for their organization. The behaviors are outlined in the book, but the cards are only available in the work session, correct? Yeah, yeah. Right. They're, they're part of the, right. the training session, That's the work right. session, right. to help give people tools so that you not only affect their mindset, but also their skill set and give them a tool set right. to how, how to move the needle on trust. You actually teach how to use these actual cards in a conversation. Absolutely. Right. Yeah, yeah. yeah they're really usable. Huh. And they make trust safe. It makes it easier to have these conversations yeah. because you got you got it's tools like a mediator, right? Yeah. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Okay. So the, the basic premise is that trust flows out of your credibility and your behavior. And we talk about the four cores of credibility. What's the difference? Well, credibility is kind of who you are and what you can do, okay. and behavior is how you do what you do. I see. And, and so, you know, you start with credibility. We have these four cores of credibility flowing out of your character and your competence. But then what you've highlighted is the behaviors, and the behaviors are so 
practical. I love to jump into the behaviors because they're real. Mm -hmm. <laughs> they're tangible. It's what yeah. people see. And, and there's 13 of these. And you might say, well, 13 is a lot, but that's cold down from the hundreds of behaviors that are mm -hmm. out there. These are the highest leverage behaviors to help a leader grow trust. And they'll build trust faster or they'll destroy it faster. So all 13 are important or else there wouldn't be 13. And, and, uh, but, but if I could highlight just a, a few maybe that really are uh, oftentimes disproportionate. Stephen, take just, just take a minute. Will you kind of call out the 13 names? Sure. Because with this vast audience, I, my, my sense is some aren't as familiar with them as you and I are. Okay, great. So here's a construct to think about it. The first five I call behaviors of character. The second five I call behaviors of competence. The last three combine character and competence. So one through five, five is yeah. character. Yeah. Five, six, six through, through ten. ten are competence. And the last three are combined character, combined and, character and competence. Yeah. Thank you. They, they flow equally out of both camps. Okay. And again, that's somewhat artificial because they all require character and competence, but that's kind of a starting point. Sure. So the first five, the behaviors of character, talk straight, means you tell the truth, mm -hmm. demonstrate respect, create transparency. So critical, especially when there's low trust. Mm -hmm. Create transparency. Right wrongs. You make it right when you're right, when you're wrong. Show loyalty. You speak about people as if they were present. Heavily character-based. The next five are heavily competence-based. So, you know, deliver results. Get better, meaning continuously improve. Confront reality. You take things head on. Clarify expectations. Practice accountability. You take responsibility. Heavily competence-based. The last three flow equally from your both your character and your competence. So Listen first, keep commitments, extend trust. Mm -hmm. Now all 13 are important and you know, you might come in a new situation and you say, look, as a leader, I'm gonna model these behaviors, I'm gonna, I'm gonna talk straight, be open, real, candid, I'm gonna be transparent and you know, that can help really build trust. So all of them are important. I can make an argument for any one of these, Scott, and you know, why that's the most important behavior. Mm -hmm. But if I could maybe, I'll just, man, I'll just highlight these last three. And Steve, you talk on the cards I see here, there's obviously the behavior. Yes. And you talk about the opposite. Spend some time also, okay. if you will, on the, on the counterfeit as well. Yeah, let me, let me do that. So, so let me give an illustration. Let's just take talk straight. Okay, got it. So the behavior is, you know, the definition. It's, 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 it's you tell the truth. Mm -hmm. You talk straight. You, you're honest. You're straightforward. You communicate honestly. Candor is the language of trust. Then we look at the opposite, and that's on the card. You know, the opposite is when people lie, mm -hmm. and lying destroys trust. And we learned this in kindergarten, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> you tell the truth, you build trust. You lie, you destroy it. What makes this so difficult? What I suggest makes this difficult is what you refer to and I call the counterfeit behavior. And counterfeit behavior is like counterfeit money. It looks real, but it's not. It's fake, it's fraudulent. Same with counterfeit behavior. It looks real, might even work, might even be socially acceptable, but trust goes down. So if I take the card, turn it over See, to that, the back. That's profound because in many organizations, it might be that the counterfeit behavior isn't outright lying, it's just somewhat in between, right? It's technically not lying, but it's not also telling the truth. That's exactly right. That's and the that, culture. And, and that's what, so when I turn it over to talk straight, the counterfeit is exactly that, Scott. It's the spin and the twisting and mm -hmm. the manipulating, the posturing, the position, the half-truths, the partial truths. It's when people, quote, technically tell the truth, but they leave the wrong impression. Mm -hmm. So they're technically accurate, mm. but they're misleading. Mm -hmm. they say, Intentionally. I didn't, I didn't lie. Right. No, but they misled. Yes. And you know, but they can get away with it and the culture might accept it. And you nailed it. The, the biggest challenges for leaders and teams today is less the opposite, mm. 
hmm. and more the counterfeit. It's less because the line. It's, it's like a slippery slope, but it's not all the way there. Yeah, right. Yeah, you know, if, if people lie, they might get away with it for a while, but yes. they can't sustain it. Right. But the spin. Yeah, it's <laughs> defensible in some that, cultures. That, that can work, and right. you can get ahead with it. It might be socially acceptable, and the entire culture could be based on a culture of spin, where everyone's spinning. Mm -hmm. But as a result, though, trust goes down. So our biggest challenge today tends to be less the opposite and is far more the counterfeit. And that's many cultures are just, you know, good people trying to do the right thing, but trapped in counterfeit behavior. Mm. And as a result, they, they, the, the level of trust is far lower than what it could or should be. And they're, dealing, they're, they're paying trust taxes at every gate. So that's the idea. And, and then the whole point is you can behave your way into trust just like you can behave your way out of trust. And these behaviors help you identify the highest leverage things you can do as a leader to grow trust in your world. Stephen, speaking of talk straight, so you were the CEO of a large global private company, the yeah. Covey Leadership Center. So you know the role in life of CEO well. You spend a lot of your time with CEOs and executive teams and boards of directors. Uh, not just Pablum, how important is it that the executive team, that the CEO, talk straight? I think it's critical. They, they set the tone. They, I, I like to put it this way. The, lead, the leader goes first. Someone needs to go first. Hmm. That's what leaders do. Leaders go first. And, and uh, they, they need to model the straight talk because when they don't, then others won't either. When they do, they make it safe and expected that others will do this too. Can I illustrate that? Please. Take Alan Malawi when he got in as CEO of Ford. Mm -hmm. So he comes in, you know, he comes from Boeing. He's an he's a, he's a airplane guy. Right. He went to a car company and he comes in a new CEO, inherits an executive team and, and, uh, and they have a meeting. Uh, you know, within a couple days on the job and they're meeting with their top executives and they put up all their projects on the screen and, and, uh, and everyone puts up either a green, a yellow, or a red slide representing the status of the project. Mm -hmm. And it's intuitive, right? Green mm -hmm. is everything's good, mm -hmm. yellow there's some concerns, mm -hmm. red we got problems. Well first meeting, 323 slides put up by the team, all 323 were green. <laughs> mm -hmm. Everyone was green. Okay, Alan Malawi kind of goes through that. A week mean, later, mean life is great. Life is great. Everything's great. Everything's okay. great. All green. Yeah. A week later, again, over 300 slides put up on the screen. Everyone green. Everyone. All is great. Another week goes by. Now he's three weeks on the job. Every slide put up on the screen green. After the third meeting, Alan Malawi. Because the culture wasn't deliver bad news? The culture was. You spin it, you do what you need to do, you don't deliver the bad news, you just, you, you sugarcoat you know, sugar it, everything's fine. Uh, because the fear was, if you maybe tell the truth, maybe that's not gonna work so well, because maybe see. it didn't in the past. But after three meetings, Alan Malawi, then he's, he's kind of listened first. He didn't come in right out of the gates, he listened first. And then he said to his team, team, this is three straight meetings, every slide has been green, over 900. Right. Um, here's my disconnect we're gonna lose about $14 billion this year. Surely something's going on. I invite you to confront reality, hmm. to talk straight, be transparent. You can't manage a secret. So, next meeting. Mark Fields, the head of North American Operations, the first slide, he puts up the first slides on the screen, he puts up a red slide. Alan Malawi, he sees that and he claps. <laughs> Mark, that's great visibility. Tell us what's happening hmm. and what we can do as a team to help you. Hmm. Now look. He gave permission. He I mean, gave Mark, permission. Mark 
rose for the challenge, but the CEO gave permission to talk straight. He encouraged them, yeah. I challenge you, you know, confront reality, yeah. be transparent, talk straight. But here's the thing, the rest of the meeting, everyone still put up green slides. Hmm. <laughs> Why? They wanted to make sure that Mark Field showed up to work the next yes, day. Because yeah. in the Hadn't past- Hadn't acculturated yet. That's right, in the past, right. maybe in the old culture, maybe he wouldn't have. Yeah. But Mark Field's not only showed up the next day, but the next week and beyond. And then Alan Malawi in his book, American Icon, writes, the changing of the culture at Ford began when Mark Fields put up the red slide. Wow, wow. I say yes, and when Alan Malawi mm -hmm. said, mm -hmm. that's great visibility, Mark, what can it. we do right. to help? Right. He invited it, right. someone took the courage to take the, the step. Mm -hmm. You know, Mark Fields was a leader too, he went first. Mm -hmm. Alan Malawi encouraged him to go first, he modeled it, mm -hmm. and then he responded with, I, you gave me bad news, I wanna get more bad news, Let's, what can we do mm -hmm. to make this better? Great example. And, and, and so that's what I mean, the leader goes first. Leaders go first yeah. at any level. So it doesn't have to be just the CEO, it could be the leader of a team, of a function, of an organization, whatever it might be, mm -hmm. you can always go first. That's the job of a leader. Take one more, Stephen. Yeah. The one I really wanna highlight is extend trust. Number, Number 13. 13. See, and I make the point that the first 12 behaviors will inspire trust. You know, they'll make you more trusted as a leader, to talk straight, create transparency, to clarify expectations, to keep commitments. But it's this 13th behavior, extending trust. That is what transforms a manager into a leader. So the first 12 behaviors will make me a more trusted manager, administrator, person, but it's this 13th behavior, this act of extending trust to others. That is an act of leadership. And it is the defining act of leadership to extend trust to another person. And it's a game changer. And it's saying, look, I believe in you, I trust in you. And it's not a blind trust, it's a smart trust. You always have clear expectations and agreed upon process for accountability. Two of the behaviors, clarifying expectations, practice accountability, that's smart trust. So it's not a blind trust, but you know, no expectations, no accountability, no, a smart trust. But you lead out with trust. Let me tell you why this is so vital. It generates a reciprocity. People receive it and they tend to return it. Mm -hmm. When people don't trust others, others don't trust them back. I, I found that so often leaders, they, they might behave in the right ways, but they often don't extend trust to people. And, and as a result, people don't receive trust and they don't return trust. And, and uh, it's interesting. You could have two trustworthy people working together and no trust if neither party is willing to extend it to the other. Hmm. Two trustworthy teams working together and no trust if not willing to extend it. So to have trust, yes, you need to be trustworthy. I call that credibility. But you also need to be willing to extend the, the trust, to give it. And that last behavior, extending trust, is a game-changing, defining act of a leader. It, it transforms a manager into a leader. And people return it, they reciprocate it back, but also, Scott, it brings out the best in them. People are inspired by it. They rise to the occasion, they perform better, and they want to give it back. And you know, I'm, I'm not naive. That's your experience. I mean, you, you wrote about it, but as a CEO, that was your experience. Absolutely, well. I saw this firsthand. People respond to being sure. trusted, they perform yeah. better. Now look, I'm not naive. There's always a few that might abuse it, take advantage. But don't let the 5% who you can't trust define for you the 95% who you can. It is far better to build your team and your culture around the 95% of the people who you can trust and let that culture crowd out, weed out, starve out those who you can't.
versus the other way where you penalize the many because of the few with more rules, regulations. And so I find that last behavior, extending trust, is a differentiator. It is a game changer. I like to put it this way. The very first job of a leader is to inspire trust. You know, that's through who you are, your credibility and your behavior. But it's the second job of a leader to extend trust, to mm. give it. And that's what defines leadership for a person. Stephen, is there a difference between being ethical and honest and being trusted? Or are they the same? They can be distinct. They're part, they're, they're, they overlap. Here's how I would, the way to look at it. You will never have trust without ethics, and yet it's possible to have ethics and to not have trust. Hmm. See, someone could be honest, but not able to deliver. Because of low, 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 competence. low competence. Right. So they might have the character, the ethics, the integrity, but they may not have the competence, the capabilities, the results, the track record. So with such a person, I might trust them if I needed to go on a vacation, needed someone to watch my home or my mm -hmm. apartment, right? Because they're honest. But I might not trust them on the key project, the key client, the key deliverable that has to be done well and on time if they don't have a track record of performing. That lack of competence could undermine my trust. Now clearly the reverse is true. Someone could be high in competence but low in character. Mm -hmm. So high in competence, you know, I mean, they deliver, right. they hit the numbers, but low in character. Maybe they're running everybody over in the process mm. or being unethical, cutting corners. That's not going to work. But, but you got to have both character and competence. And so character is the first among equals, mm. but competence mm -hmm. is its equal. So yeah, ethics is the character side. You got to have it to have trust. But I could have ethics and not have trust if I don't right. have the competence. Right. I, can, I can visualize it too. You mentioned that a leader's first job is to inspire trust. What other practical advice would you give in the following couple, couple scenarios? Okay. Say you have a new team leader just been hired in the organization or promoted and they're joining a team and they want to start to establish trust or build a high trust culture. Maybe they want some quick wins, but they also want some enduring wins. What advice would you give to all the audience out here that's just joined a new team as a leader and they want to build a high trust culture just within their sphere of influence? Not trying to change yeah. the entire com company or culture, but just their stewardship. Yeah. Okay, I'll give, give advice around two veins. I'm guessing talk straight and <laughs> extend trust. Yeah, right? well, what I'm going to say <laughs> is this, is, is uh, you know, first what they do about themselves and then secondly what they'll do with others, with their team. First for themselves. I would come in, I'd start with credibility, and I would, one of the cores of credibility is intent. The first thing I would do, I would declare my intent of who I am, what I'm about, what I'm trying to do, and why. Always give the why behind the what. Start with why, as Simon Sinek says. You know, give the why. This is what it's all about. I'm trying to get results in a way that builds the trust on the team. Here's what I'm trying to do. Here's why. I declare Because myself. absence that people will make up their own interpretation. Exactly. When you don't declare intent, people interpret, they, they bring their own meaning to it. They ascribe intent right. to you. Right. And at best, they're guessing. And at worst, they're projecting fears or worst case scenarios. Don't have people guess. No guessing. Declare your intent. Okay. Here's what I'm trying to do. Here's why. So I come into a new relationship as a team. Here's what we're trying to do. I wanna, we want to hit our numbers. We want to get the results. We want to serve our clients. We want to create value. And we want to do it in a way that inspires trust, that builds the engagement of the team and the collaboration, the partnering. How we do what we do matters. Yes, we want to get the results. We want to do it, though, in the, in the right way mm. so that we can b b increase our capabilities to get results in the future. I declare myself. I declare what I'm trying to do and why. Second, I would then signal my behavior. That means clarify expectations. I, I'm, gonna, I'm telling people what I'm going to do. 
in the future. You know, it's like we're on the freeway and right. you're in the middle lane. Yeah. You want to go to the left lane. What do you do? You put what should turn, you do? Well, you should turn on your turn signal. <laughs> right. Now, you right. don't. I, I've been <laughs> driving with you. But, but uh, you should turn on your blinker. Now, who are you doing that for? You you're doing that for yourself? And as a courtesy to those around me. Yeah. Right. You're not doing it for yourself. You know what you're going to do. You're yeah. doing it for others. So that they might know what you're, trying, what you're going to do. They're aware. It's a courtesy. Yeah. There's also signals. What to look for. That's what signaling your behavior is. You're telling people, here's my intent. I want to get results in a way that inspires trust. So, if I make you a commitment, I'm going to keep it. If I'm going to talk to you, I'm going to talk straight. I'm going to be, be straightforward. If I have an agenda, it will be open and transparent. I'm not going to have hidden agendas with you. You know, if I have uh, an issue, I'll go straight to you. I won't go behind your back. I tell people what I'm going to do. I call that signaling your behavior. That's the second step. So you declare your intent. You signal your behavior. That is, you tell them what you're going to do. The third step, I now I simply do what I said I was mm -hmm. going to do. I keep the commitments. I just said I was going to do it. Now I do it. And I'll tell you what. That simple process, declaring intent, signaling behavior, and then doing what I say I'm going to do. Or another way to use the language here, declare intent, clarify expectations, keep commitments. That will build trust. And, and I can build it fast in little things. I make a commitment, I keep it. Make another commitment, keep it. Make, keep, repeat. Make, keep, repeat. I can get quick wins. I can build trust exceptionally fast. So that's me modeling Making it. and keeping commitments is arguably one of the highest ways to demonstrate you can be trusted. Absolutely. You, 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 your word is your bond. You do what you say you're going to do. And, and uh, the research shows that's maybe the fastest way to build trust. Hmm. It's also the fastest way to lose it, is to make a commitment and to break yeah. it. And the counterfeit is when people overpromise and then underdeliver. So can I, can I just add one more piece yeah. of this, Scott? Yeah. So that's where I start. I start with myself. I always start with self. I always look in the mirror. What can I do to give my team a leader that they can trust, so that it's smart to trust me? I focus on my credibility, I focus on my behavior. So I, my credibility, I declare my intent, what I'm trying to do and why. I'm always seeking mutual benefit and then how I'm going to do it, making and keeping commitments. Now with others, now I, you know, so I, I start looking at the mirror, start with myself, but as I work with others as a new leader of a team, or, or maybe what have, what have I been promoted? among peers and now I'm now their boss. Well, that, that can be a sticky scenario. That can be really sticky. Would you change your advice for someone who's been promoted over their former peers and maybe they're not untrustworthy or they're not unethical, but there's been maybe some tension or now all of a sudden you're the leader. What advice would you give a newly promoted peer over her peers? Anything different you might offer well, there? Well, I would just add one thing. I, I, I still say start with self, look in the mirror and see you're making it about what can I do to be the kind of leader that you can trust. So that's about what can I do? That's always in play. But here's where I would add how I treat them and how I approach this with them. I would do these three behaviors. I would listen first. What, tell me what you're seeing. What's on your mind? So they feel validated. They feel heard. They feel understood that yeah, I'm not just coming in as the new leader among my peers saying, here's what we're going to do. I'm coming in and saying, help me see what you see. Help me understand what you understand. I want to hear you first, and I want to demonstrate respect for what I just heard. I may or may not agree with it. I'm just trying to understand it first. And that's really important, that understanding, captured in the form of listening first, demonstrating respect for what, what, what I hear, because that, mm. people now feel hurt. And if they felt passed over, they felt you know, like they shut were down, slighted, right, right. shut down, suddenly they don't feel that from how I'm treating them. I'm showing respect for them, I'm listening to them, I'm understanding, and when they feel understood, they say, huh, maybe I should listen to Scott. He's, he seems to be open. 
and, and maybe it's not just a slam shut case that I don't have any say. And, and so they, you begin to build hope with them. But then the last one I would say, then I would extend trust to them. I would say, look, you know, um, my starting point with you is I trust you until you prove that I shouldn't. Now, it's not a blind trust. I have clear expectations. I have high accountability, but I start with trust and I trust you. And, and see, by extending that trust, I generate the reciprocity where they tend to trust you back. And I go first. I'm the leader. I go first. So I listen to them. I demonstrate respect. I extend trust to them. And I'll tell you what, you won't win everyone over necessarily, but you win a lot of these people over that maybe were skeptical about mm -hmm. why you got the job mm -hmm. and they didn't. Mm -hmm. You begin to create that culture, that environment that is saying we can build trust here and I'm modeling it. You wrote a second book called Smart Trust. Why did you write that? Because this whole balancing act of when to trust, maybe when not to trust, how much trust to give. It's a low trust world. You can't trust everyone. Mm -hmm. Finding that sweet spot. Blind so trust difficult. is risky. Blind trust is and risky. not wise, right? Yeah, I, mean, I can trust too much, get burned. It's a low trust world. And if I'm too trusting, I'll get burned and that's not gonna work. But I also can go to the other extreme, Scott, where because of the fact I can't trust some, I now hardly trust anyone. Yeah. I've seen many managers fall into that trap where it's they may be- a toxic place to live. Right? That's right. They might have trusted someone and, and then they got burned, disappointed, let down. They now kind of swing the pen on the other side where they say, hey, I just don't trust anyone but myself. But you're right, it is a toxic place to live. You can't leverage yourself. But more than that, you won't engage your team. You won't inspire your team. You won't bring out the best in them. You won't, uh, you won't even see the possibilities and, and uh, um, when you don't trust them. And how are you gonna collaborate with people that you don't trust? At best, you'll cooperate. At worst, it's probably just mere coordination. To truly collaborate requires trust. How are you gonna build a team if you're not willing to trust people? Without trust, you're not a team, you're just merely a group of people. Hmm. It is trust that turns a group hmm. into a team, that turns a vendor supplier into a partner. It's transformative to the very relationship. And so I start with this trust and I, 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 I extend it to people and, and, uh, and, and it changes everything. And, and they reciprocate, but I'll tell you what, more than anything, it, it inspires them. I believe this, to be trusted is the most inspiring form of human motivation. People are motivated, it brings out the best in them. They want to prove the trust justified. They perform better, they give it back. And we need inspiration today. And, and when, when, when people don't feel trusted, it disengages them and, and it doesn't bring out the best in them. And you don't even see the possibilities. You coordinate, you don't collaborate. With trust, it engages them, it helps them move to partnering, teaming, collaboration, and it inspires them. And people today need to be inspired. People don't wanna be managed, they wanna be led. Right, right. They wanna be trusted, they wanna be inspired, and nothing inspires people like being trusted. Stephen, your passion for this is contagious. It's kind of your turn into your life's work. It's not all easy. I mean, if I look at number four, right wrongs, that's easier said than done, right? As your dad used to say, yeah. says easy, does hard, right? Yeah. Uh, what advice would you give a leader who needs to right some wrongs? Perhaps their wrongs or wrongs from a predecessor or wrongs from uh, the culture of the organization yeah. before they inherited it. Any, any um, examples or stories or tactical advice you might give on the best ways to s say you're sorry, mean it, prove it, and keep the commitment. Yeah, yeah. Because it's aspirational. 
it is aspirational and it's also really needed today because it's a low trust world. We've all fallen short. Yeah. You know, there's, there's, there's shortcomings everywhere. Some of our greatest political leaders don't ever say, I was wrong. I made a mistake. It's kind of refreshing though, is it not even to see, you know, all of us are fallible. Right, it, it, it can be extremely refreshing. And I'll tell you what, this is, is vital because we, we fall short and it's actually act, an act of strength and courage to do it. I agree. But, but here's, if I could use the behaviors as a framework. Okay. So let's say that, that either I made a mistake or, or I inherited a mistake, like you say, sometimes maybe I didn't do it, but I inherited it. Mm -hmm. you, know, we, we, you know, this is the position, the role, the company, we've behaved our way into, you know, out of trust. We've got to behave our way back into it. So I would say this, I, I love my father's expression where he said, you can't talk your way out of a problem that you behaved your way into. And that's how it is. I gotta restore trust. I, words alone are necessary, but they're insufficient. I have to behave my way back into trust. So what, what would I do? I'd do these four behaviors. First, I would, I would practice accountability. That means I gotta own it. I gotta take responsibility for it. Even if it's not me, it's still the organization, the company, I can say, look, we've behaved our way out of trust. We own this, we take responsibility for it. Because so often, people don't do that. And Scott, what they're doing instead, they're doing the blame game. They're pointing the fingers at everybody else. But that, it makes it hard to really restore trust with someone when you're saying, hey, I wanna restore trust with you, but by the way, this really wasn't my fault. It's not my fault. People aren't quite sure, do you get it? You gotta say, I get it and I own it. So I practice accountability. Then. I do number four, as you pointed out, I right the wrong. I make it right when I'm wrong. And that might include an apology. It also does include making restitution. That's a legal concept to make whole. Mm -hmm. I make it whole. I make it right when I'm wrong as best I can and say, okay, I'm trying to right this wrong, but I realize I have to behave my way back into trust. It's not enough to just talk about it. That's helpful. The apology is helpful. Telling them I want to restore trust is helpful, but now I've got to Clarify expectations going forward. Tell them what I'm going to do to regain, to re-earn their trust through my behavior and why it matters to me. And then I gotta keep the commitments. I gotta do what I say I'm gonna do. And I have to behave my way back into trust just like I behave my way out of trust. And I believe you can restore it. I don't think it's easy. And it may not be possible in every situation, but I've seen leaders, teams, and organizations do this. I'll give you one example where um, a leader came in and of, of, a, of, a, of a company about 2,000 people and so small business, you know, or medium-sized business. And, and uh, he was the fourth owner in a two-year period. Hmm. And, and, um, and, you know, they kept going through CEOs and new owners coming in and, and the, the cynicism was thick. Uh, they, you know, they'd been to this movie and they kept getting new right, owners, new right. leaders coming in. No one believed a thing. So this guy comes in and he holds a town hall meeting in which he just listens and listens to people and they, and they come up with all these complaints. But you know what? Um, people were saying, yeah, here we go again. You know, I've heard all this. I've been to this movie. I don't like how it ends. But this leader listened first and then he captured what he was hearing and then he made a series of commitments. And as I recall, there was about 16 different commitments that he wrote down in this two-hour town hall meeting of things he was going to do differently, better, more. Some he could do immediately, some would take some time. But then, you know, so, so, so people walked out maybe with a little bit of hope that maybe this leader is going to try to rebuild the trust here. And, and it wasn't that the leader had done things. You know, he inherited this low trust tax. But it, it was an inheritance tax, but it still was real. But he made these commitments. That generated some hope. Two weeks later, he called another meeting, another town hall meeting, and said, I just want to report back on these 16 commitments. Hmm. 
and he took them one by one. And he had really done in large part 13 of them. The other yeah. three were. His credibility in had process. been transformed, right? His credibility I mean, was transformed, yeah. and suddenly people said, oh. Right, it's different. Maybe this guy is serious. Yeah. Maybe this is real. But what he was doing, he was behaving his way back into trust, just like you could behave your way out of it. Is this easy? No. Is it possible? In most situations, yes. How do you do it? Through your behavior. You can't talk your way out of a problem you behave your way into, but you can behave your way, way out. It's yeah. the only way out. Right. Uh, Stephen, in our final couple of minutes, you spend most of your time writing, speaking, working with executive teams. For someone who's watching today yeah. and they're resonating with you know, the culture's need in their organization to be more high trusted, what's a typical engagement look like? How does somebody get started with the content? Yeah. Not everybody can afford to hire you and some can. <clears throat> how typically does someone get started? Yeah. You, you start where you're at. You start where you can. You start where there's a champion. It could, could be you know, the person listening to this saying, you know what, I want to build trust on my team. And even if I'm operating in a low trust company, I don't have to wait for the CEO to get this message and to mm -hmm. embrace this. I'd like that. Ideally, I'd like to start with the CEO right at the top. That's the ideal scenario. And you start and you model it there and then you ripple down. But the reality is you start where people are at. You start on the sides. You start in the pockets. You start with a leader with a function, with a group, with a team, with their, with their group. And, and you say, what if that leader could build trust in first in them as a leader, their credibility, their behavior? What if they could build a culture on their team where people do the behaviors, they talk straight and they're transparent and they clarify expectations and they practice accountability as opposed to blaming and finger pointing and spinning and having hidden agendas? What if you could model it? What if you could help your team behave in those ways? And what if then your team could start to ripple out to other teams? and help them do the same type of thing as you interface, interact with people. And then what if you get results and then people measure your engagement scores and they're really high and people say, what are they, what's Scott doing over there? Look at that. They're performing and look at their engagements off the charts. And then they, you, you start to become a model that increases your credibility. Then you can become a mentor, help others do it. You spread this and it goes out and then it goes up and then it goes down. So I often talk about Frito-Lay and the work that we did with them, you know, where you had Al Carey, the CEO of the company, taking speed of trust, this message, taking these, these uh, four cores of credibility, these 13 behaviors to all 45,000 people, you know, getting water to the end of the row so everyone understands the behaviors that we operate with. In fact, beyond the row, because he took it to some of his suppliers and vendors as well, right? Absolutely. To it, transparency throughout their whole supply chain. Their whole supply chain. It started That's with their remarkable. team that went out with vendors, suppliers, customers, and it really became part of how they operated. Yeah. So, so I had people say, yeah, yeah, we need leaders like Al Carey that get it and start right at the top. I like to point out, yeah, Al Carey did help make this profound, but it didn't start with Al Carey. It started with Cheryl Sermonera, an HR leader in, on her team, leading the HR team, saying, you know what? We're gonna start here. I'm not gonna start with me. I'm gonna give to my team a leader that they can trust, that's smart to trust me. I'm gonna focus on my credit and my, my behavior. Then she worked with her team and built a high trust team. And then her team interacts with other teams because they're the HR heads that go out that partner with the business units. And they begin to partner. They're more credible, they're more trusted. The business heads start to say, hmm, what are you doing? Because this is really working. Um, you, you know, I, I can really work with you. I can trust you. And you're a real trusted partner in a way that you haven't been in the past. And because you understand me, you know where I'm coming from, you know how to build, create value. 
And suddenly, then they say, you know what? We've learned how to build trust intentionally. And we're doing it on our team. Now we're trying to build it with our partners. And the, and the business head would say, well, it's working. Couldn't we gain from this for our, our business? And they say, yeah, we could. Then they start to take it to the businesses. Mm -hmm. And pretty soon these businesses goes, goes to one and to another and then to another. And these business leaders then start to report in to Al Carey and start to say what they're doing. Now they're getting results and their engagement scores are high. How are you doing it? They said, we've learned how to build trust in, intentionally, on purpose, through credibility, through behavior. Here's how. Al sees it and says, this makes sense. This works, doesn't it? We need this for the whole company. So yeah, then Al does in his role as CEO. He, he sees it, he, he gets it, he models it, and he, and, he, and he says, let's design this in a way that we can give this to everyone so that we all are clear on the expectations of how we build trust here at Frito-Lay and the behaviors that we expect of each other. That's ideal, but it didn't start with Al Carey. Mm. It started with Cheryl yeah. Sermon era in a pocket, on a team. So I'd say, you know, you start where you can, you look in the mirror, you start with you, your, your leadership, your team, and then you ripple out, you ripple up, you ripple down. Yeah. Ideally, you'd love to go start at the top, go to, me, start at the top, go down, and maybe we'll get there. Mm -hmm. Maybe we can start there in some situations. Mm -hmm. We've had other situations. Direct TV, Mike right? White. We yeah. started right with Mike White, right at the top from the beginning, and and roll it out. But another, but more likely, you're starting with a team, a group, a function, a pocket. A leader of a division. A leader of a division, yeah. Yeah. a leader of a unit. It's no coincidence that of all the solutions in Franklin Covey's All Access Pass, the speed of trust tends to be the most pervasive organization-wide, doesn't it? I mean, it <coughs> seems to be, of all our solutions, the one that a leader will train her or his entire team or platform because it creates a culture and a behavior change almost instantly. Would you agree? Absolutely. You see the results immediately. You, you've identified it spot on. You, how are you going to change the culture if you don't address behavior? And there's 13 behaviors yeah. that build a high trust culture. Yeah. So suddenly it's really tangible, practical of saying, look, you want to address the culture? You want, you want to change the culture? Change the behavior. And you want to behave in ways that build trust. Here's 13 of yeah. them. And here's the corresponding opposites and counterfeits to avoid and to, to stay away from. And so you got to give it to people. They got to, you know, the water has to reach the end of the row so people know what is expected of them. Mm -hmm. And I'll tell you what, Scott, these cards, these tools, they become a shorthand language. Mm -hmm. And so the people can communicate volumes in just a few words. Mm -hmm. and, and they become a common language, a common framework, a process to build trust on purpose. And so, yeah, it becomes widespread throughout entire culture because you're trying to change the culture and build a high trust mm -hmm. culture as the foundation of everything else that you're trying to do. Innovation, collaboration, execution, partnering, engagement, um, leading change, all those things start with a culture of trust. It is a performance multiplier for everything else you're trying to do. Uh, final few moments. What's your favorite memory of your father? Does something come to mind? So many things. I would say this, that um, my father was a great teacher, mm -hmm. um, great uh, author, writer. He really had a sense of, of the human condition and, uh, and of people, and he was able to communicate it well. He, he had the ability to take complex things and make them simple. Mm. That's what Seven Habits is. The complex made simple. That's his legacy. And it's his legacy. Yeah. But I would say also that as good as his ability was to reach the many by taking complex things, making them simple, and reaching many, his greatest impact and success tended to be with the few, one on one. So for me, I, as much as I remember the man that was teaching the world seven habits, 
I remember the father that was teaching me how to take care of the yard, hmm. green and clean. Because you're the son in the Seven Habits story, green and clean. I'm green and clean, son. Yeah, yeah. That's me. <laughs> I was a seven-year-old boy. And you know what? He trusted me. Mm-hmm. And he told me, clear expectations, agreed upon process for accountability. He, we didn't have these cards. Right. We didn't have the behaviors, but he said, green and clean. Results, words, but he trusted me. Seven-year-old, gave me the job. And the equivalent of that is what I felt in my life. He believed in me, he had confidence in me, he saw the best in me, he did with all the brothers and sisters. We all like to think there's nine of us that each of us was the favorite child. <laughs> and so maybe my father's greatest legacy, even more than reaching the many, was reaching mm-hmm. the few. Mm-hmm. And uh, reaching me personally um, with how he treated me, believed in me, saw what I was capable of, I use green and clean as a metaphor of it because people know that story. Right, from reading The Seven Habits. From The right. Seven Habits. Right. But I could give so many other equivalent yeah. Yeah. examples of that, of how he listened first and, and affirmed me, valued me, and in my words, trusted me. And I felt that trust. I was inspired by it. It brought out the best in me. I did tend to rise to the occasion, and I gave it right back to him. Sounds like your own legacy is somewhat similar. I mean, with two million books almost sold and you know, many more in the coming years, do you see your legacy similar? I hope so. I, I, I feel a sense of stewardship, Scott, to build on what my father has done. Um, I don't put myself in his category. I think he was a unique and special mm-hmm. person, but I do feel like I have a stewardship. I carry his name, and I have a stewardship and responsibility to carry on his legacy and, and to do his work of leadership. My specific calling, I feel, is around trust, which is the foundation of leadership, the very first job of leadership. You know, that first imperative in our, on leadership, you know, in our leadership offering, inspiring trust, extending trust, you know, and, and, and uh, I believe it's the number one competency of leadership needed today, more than any other. I feel that is my calling, my legacy, following in my father's footsteps with maybe my distinct um, a twist to it, my, my distinct calling part of it, which is how trust is the starting point. And it's really what is needed in a low trust world. And, and so leadership is a broad topic, as we know, and, and as our listeners know, there's lots of elements to it. But where, where you start is always with trust. If you can begin there, then suddenly your ability to do all the things you need to do as a leader has just gone up. Mm-hmm. It is a multiplier and an accelerator. Mm-hmm. And so that is I believe uh, my, 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 uh, my, my stewardship, Impact, yeah. my legacy, yeah. but I do feel like I'm standing on the shoulders of a giant and trying to uh, uh, kind of do my part. Well, I put you in the same category as your dad because I've met you both. and I've, I knew your dad for about 15 years prior to his passing and I've known you for 21 years. One of my favorite stories about you that I tell a lot, because you're the real deal, sir. sir. I tell people, I, uh, about eight years ago when I took over the marketing function for Franklin Covey, I brought you in for a series of interviews. I was off camera and you were kind of the, the, the star of the show and I was coaching you on, Stephen, you know, relax but be credible and be funny and be witty. And I gave you all these instructions, right? Uh-huh. Uh, and your response back to me, remember what it was? Yeah. <laughs> I said, I just gotta be me. That's it, you said, thank you, Scott, for all that advice, but I can only be me. And I think you were probably both giving me a little bit of advice, a little counsel, but you also were inspiring me, because I've told that story hundreds of times, that Stephen, just without even, um, you know, uh, 
hesitation, said, I can't be anybody but me, Scott. I am just who I am. And it's, it's, I think it's been very inspiring to me to think about that story when someone else is asking me to not compromise my, my character or my competency, but to be someone else. I am who I am, and I can only be me, and I'm going to be the best me that I can. Yeah, abs absolutely. It's a tribute and to you. Thank you, and I appreciate that. And that's, that's what gave me the courage to kind of uh, uh, move down the thought leadership path, having been on the operational business path, to then become move into a thought leader role, following in the, in the footsteps of my father, yeah. is that I said, I can't be him, I gotta be me, yeah. but I can follow in his footsteps, and then I felt like maybe I can bring my distinctness to it, which is my message, trust, but also my, the fact that I'd been on the operational business side gave me a credibility to take this topic of trust that's so misunderstood, seen as soft, you know, warm and fuzzy, yeah. and to bring a hard edge to it, an economic edge as you started with to it. The whole idea that trust is not just a soft, warm and fuzzy social virtue. It is a hard edge economic driver. I know that, I'm a practitioner, CEO having run companies, knowing the power of trust to change everything. And then also knowing that it's learnable as a skill, as a competency. And so having, you know, finding my voice, having something to say that I felt was critical, and then feeling like I just gotta be myself. I don't have to be my dad. Yeah. Kind of gave me the courage yeah. to take the leap yeah. to move down this path. Stephen, thank you for your contribution. If our clients are interested, you can pick up Speed Up Trust in any bookstore. If you're interested in bringing the content into your company, visit franklincovey.com and learn more about the All Access Pass. And you also can follow Stephen on Twitter at Stephen M.R. Covey, you right? At Stephen M.R. Covey, Covey. And be one of uh, uh, Stephen's Twitter followers. Thank you for your time today. Hope you um, picked up a few tips from the 13 behaviors as well. And we'll see you next week on our weekly On Leadership series. Thank you so much for joining us.